probably had two dozen people say to me, who was the guy at the end? Right? Who was the guy at the end? Did you bring him in for the day? He's been in a choir for months and months and months. But uh, Colin Geyser was his name. Colin's here in this service this morning. But he did a phenomenal job. But I, ha- I can't tell you the amount of people that I <laughs> heard say, who was that guy? So I thought I'd tell everybody today who that guy was. I won't tell Justin this, but just you can tell him later. But no, don't tell him either. He said, was that his dad? Who was that guy? Uh, just a great, great day. And Colin, you did a phenomenal job. I, I had somebody write me and said, I could have gone to heaven from here. And I almost did. I mean, it was that enjoyable to be a part of it. I had a comment last Sunday morning. I get a lot of comments. You can't even imagine the comments I have gotten in 35 years of ministry. But I got one last Sunday morning I've never gotten before. And the comment was this. Why are you preaching so short in the last few weeks? I've never had anybody say to me, I'm preaching too short. So today, I'm going to make up for it. (laughs) Pack your lunch. We're here for a good day. Chapter 20, beginning of verse 8, as we return to the Ten Commandments this morning, I thought that video clip in two and a half minutes summed it up incredibly well as to what God wants this day to be. And I want to share it with you this morning. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it's the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. As we start this series this morning, I want to remind you how we began a few weeks ago when we were talking about this context. And I want to remind you that these great words of life and living are being given to a people already belonging to God. You'll see that just as significant next Sunday morning. These words were not given by they could be saved, but as a way for help, to help them live out and flourish in the freedom and redemption that God has already provided for them. These words were given to a people already belonging to God, not by a means by which they could be saved, but as a way to help them live out and flourish in the freedom and redemption God has already provided for them. Nowhere is that fact more practically evident than in this commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Put a boundary around it. Protect it. Respect it. God says, I want to give you a gift. I want to give you a great gift. A day that you look forward to. A day that you really enjoy. God knows how we're wired. He made us. Very clearly tells us that in Psalm 139. He made us and he knows what we need. So he gives us a great gift. And he said, I want you to protect that gift. And I want you to use it very, very wisely. Before we get to the part of these verses let me look at the first half of verse 11 you're in your scripture right for in six days God created the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them I believe that there are two foundational truths in the Old and New Testament that you and I need to embrace and believe the lot of scripture the bulk of scripture to me flows out of these two doubt them The rest of scripture can crumble around them. In the New Testament, one of the most basic principles you and I need to believe is in the incarnation. That God became man. Not as a theory, not as an assumption, not as a possibility, but a belief that God became man. That it was God in that 
cross. It was God in that manger that God became man and made his dwelling among us. The belief in the incarnation is not just a theory. It is absolute truth and fact. Doubt that and all the rest of the New Testament crumbles around that. Now to me, one of the most foundational principles in the Old Testament that you and I have to believe that the rest of Scripture flows out of, and we misbelieve this or do not believe this, it crumbles around that, and that is this, creation. That God created the heavens and the earth in six days. That God created the heavens and the earth in six days. Literal creation, literal six days. A young earth, not a million, that's why he said it that way, not a million, a billion years old, but a young earth, but God literally created this world in six days. One of the best series that I've ever seen on that, one of the best people to address that issue, because it's six videos, all 50 minutes apiece, I could never give it to you this morning, is Ken Ham. Write it down somewhere today, Ken Ham Answers in Genesis. If you've been in a truth project, the one on science, if you've not watched it yet, you have to watch the one on science. It is absolutely captivating and riveting. But Ken Ham, in that particular issue, addresses the issue of creationism as opposed to evolution better than anybody I've ever heard it done. Essentially, he says this, you have to decide, do you believe scientists who weren't there or God who was? You have to decide that. And when we believe in creation, a literal creation, that God made the heavens, God made the earth, and God did it in six days, everything else flows out of that. Misbelieve that, and many things crumble around that. Found it fascinating, knowing I was going to address that issue this week, but this very week, in USA Today, it said this, that teachers in passed a new law to protect teachers who wanted to explore other scientific issues and ideas. The measure simply says this in the article. Came law on Tuesday. It made Tennessee the second state after Louisiana to enable teachers to move more easily to teach alternative theories to the widely accepted scientific concepts of evolution and human-caused climate change. At least five other states are considering similar legislation this year. In other words, they're allowed to finally, for the very first time, in their context, to debate revolu- evolution and see it as a theory, not fact. We've all been taught that it's a fact. It is a theory. For the first time, Tennessee, along with Louisiana, five other states are allowed to share that opportunity. I found it fascinating this week of all week. They go back in the article, and you can read it if you want, but it fascinated me that the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 1987 that requiring that creation science be taught in public schools alongside evolution is unconstitutional as a violation of the First Amendment right to freedom of religion. Do you put those two together? They're basically saying you can't discuss creation as opposed to evolution because it's unconstitutional because it violates freedom of religion. I'm sitting here, no wonder we've been confused for so many years by some of the things the United States Supreme Court does in that issue. It is, again, a foundational principle to your understanding the bulk of the New Testament, the bulk of the Old Testament. In incarnation, God became man. In creation, that God created this earth. God created you and I. We are not simply out of anything else, but God's creative hand made, formed, shaped, and poured his life into, and breathed his breath into. You've got to believe that to understand that. 
And he starts that way in this very context, and that's why that alluded to that in the video clip you just saw a moment ago. Now to the first part, remember the Sabbath. Three things I want to share with you this morning that are the purpose of Sabbath. You can write them down. You're going to memorize these by the end. I hopefully you'll understand them. Three purposes of the Sabbath. Many more, I'm sure, but three that I want to share with you this morning. One is rest. Physical restoration. Sabbath, Shabbat, means simply stop. Just stop. Second, spiritual realignment. And third, an amazing reminder, one day a week, of all that God has done for us. This command, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, because stand as a great reminder to those who live for the weekend and use it foolishly and waste it. How many of you know people for the weekend and then cannot remember what they did on the weekend? How many of you work every single day of your life living for the weekend? God said, I want to give you a great gift on that week. I want to give you an incredible gift and I want you to use it wisely and use it well. This command, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, also could stand as a reminder to those we would call workaholics who never rest. Researchers find that most people today have a daily and weekly pattern that's unbalanced and not sustainable over the long haul. They say we function at peak performance when we take one day a week to rest and replenish. How fascinating is that, that God designed it that way from the beginning of time? God knew that thousands of years ago. If we violate that design, they say we're abusing our bodies and our souls, and little by little we diminish our effectiveness. A good friend of mine is a psychologist in Emerge Ministries in Ohio, Don Leach is his name, battling terribly with cancer. He's written this. We live in a highly sensual world that constantly bombards us with images, sights, sounds, noises, and clutter. Our brains actually adjust to this, and in fact, they become addicted to the noise. To reset the homeostatic balance in our senses, we need a regular time of Sabbath where we experience quiet, rest, and silence. In other words, to unplug I've heard people brag about how they've never taken a day off in so many weeks that they wear it like a badge of courage. What also always intrigues me about that is why we would brag about violating that command. I mean, how many of you would brag? Man, I've lied all week. It's been awesome. I've stolen everything I could get my hands on. It's been unbelievable week. Great week. Why would we ever brag about that particular command that we would violate and not the others? Now, some would say I'd rather burn out than rust out. Either way, you're out. Scripture speaks very clearly and very loudly about being lazy. But to function at peak performance, to function as we're designed to function, we need a regular rest where we stop. From all the other things we've done, all the other things we try to accomplish in those six days, and we rest and we recharge. Second purpose, spiritual realignment. When God finished creation, in in verse 11, it says that he rested. I believe that God rested because he was tired. I believe God rested because he was done. I don't believe God rested. Can you imagine in heaven, God, after six days of creation, going, oh, man. Whew, I got to sit down. I, I got, boy, that was hard. That earth thing, you know, the water thing. Oh, man, putting those mountains in there, that was tough. I, whew, I just got to stop for a while. 
God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was done. He accomplished what he needed to accomplish. The Sabbath day rest. The Sabbath day is not just a day for rest, though it is that, but it's also a day for spiritual realignment to this eternal truth. There is a God in heaven, and it's not you, so quit acting like you are. Quit carrying around on your shoulders the weight and responsibility of the entire world. God calls us to a weekly discipline that reminds you and I on a very weekly basis in a very healthy way that God's in control so I don't have to be. Otherwise, we get pretty arrogant thinking the world can't run without us or our business can't run without us or the people around us can't survive without us. Or we get depressed thinking that we've got to keep going just to survive. One of the most fascinating pieces of Jesus' high priestly prayer that I would call the Lord's Prayer in John 17 is when he said, Father, I've finished what you sent me here to do. If you think about that for a moment and analyze what could have been done in Jesus' ministry, was absolutely every individual on this planet reached with the gospel of Christ? Was absolutely every individual within Jesus' sphere of influence healed? Was the church established where, and the list is endless of the things that could have been done? I find it incredible when Jesus said, Father, I have finished what you have sent me here to do. He understood his priorities. He understood what was important. He knew exactly what he was here to accomplish, and he did it. We all know what it's like to push to as many degrees as the many ends that we can possibly get to, thinking the world can't survive without us until we finally, at some point in our lives, run down, run out, or burn out. I did that. Two years ago, when I took seven weeks off, I was done. I lived at times like things couldn't survive without me. I had to know everything. I had to understand everything. I had to make decisions on most everything. And I was living like things couldn't go on without me. That I needed to meet every need, every circumstance, every individual, every problem. And finally my body, my mind said, and my heart at a point said, you're done. And if you don't stop and recognize and realign, you will be done for a long time to come. And at one point he said, you're going to see me face to face sooner than you thought. It's easy to get things out of balance. I love it now. I, I, I never check my emails on Monday. My Sabbath starts in, in five hours. I love Sunday morning. And, and what goes on, you'll see that in the context of what we share at the end. But I don't check emails anymore. Bob protects me and my wife protects me in amazing ways on Monday. And I shut off and I shut down. Spiritual rest, spiritual realignment, and number three, it is a weekly reminder of God's amazing grace that you and I have been given. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, God said, remember that you were slaves in Egypt? Remember that? Remember that the Lord brought you up out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm? Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, God reminded them of all he had done for them of what he had accomplished, how, where they were and where they are now was solely done by the hand of amazing God. Do you know why he said to them, do not forget, do not forget, do not forget? You know why? Because they would forget. 
They would assume that somehow they had done it on their own or they or were better off in another context. God reminded them over and over again. One of the things the Sabbath does is gives me an opportunity to stop and reflect and be reminded every single week of my life, at least one day a week, of all the amazing things that God has done for us. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said, When the Lord your God brings you to the land that he swore Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with a large flourishing cities that you didn't build, houses, with all kinds of good things you didn't provide, wells that you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant. Then you will eat and be satisfied, but be very careful that you do not forget that it was the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and gave you what you have today. In our American context, we are so used to being able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, assuming we've gotten what we've gotten on our own. And at least one day a week, we have the opportunity to stop and reflect and be reminded of this unbelievable, amazing grace that God has given us. Paul probably says it the best in Ephesians chapter 2 when he said, because of his great love for us. God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in transgressions, it was by grace that we've been saved. God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Remember that at a time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship and foreigners to the covenant, the promise, without hope, without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, with Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you were built together and became a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Every week, at least once a week, you and I have the opportunity to celebrate what we were, who we are now, and what God has done. I know you can do that every day of the week, and many do. Hopefully you do it every morning when you wake up in the morning. But every week, God gives us an opportunity, one day a week, at least once a week, to stop, to rest, realign our priorities, and to celebrate God's amazing grace and remember what he has done, remember what we were, and remember who we are now. Now, there are two extremes that people have gone to with the, remember the Sabbath. is legalism where we end up turning this joyous gift day into a religious duty day with a list of legalistic obligations that suck the life out of the day. It was meant to be a day where I get physical rest, realign my priorities, and to stop and thank God for his amazing grace. But instead of a look forward to day, for some it became a a half-do or a can't-do day where I have to go to church and I can't do this or that. It was never designed to be that at all. Pharisees in Jesus' day raised the whole can't-do thing to, a, to an art form. Their Talmud had 24 chapters devoted to the things you could or couldn't do on the Sabbath. Couldn't go further from your house than 3,000 feet. Couldn't only read so much. You couldn't sew, couldn't bake, couldn't walk. The list was endless. This day ended up being a day that would actually wear you out trying to keep up with all the rules instead of lifting you up, which is what the day was designed to be. How many of you grew up like that, though, in your lifetime? Where you grew up in a context where you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that, you weren't allowed to go here, you weren't allowed to go there, you couldn't... My wife grew up in a context where you couldn't shop, couldn't go to a restaurant, couldn't watch TV, couldn't play, couldn't go in the yard, do certain activities. Just sit and reflect. There's colleges that do that as well. 
Sadly, because of legalism, it took the joy out of what was supposed to be a great day. But if we're honest, many of us in this room aren't dealing with legalism. Many in this room grew up in an environment, maybe you have it in your own context now, where Sunday's just another day. A day where I catch up on all the things that I didn't get a chance to do throughout the week. We go to church, sometimes out of obligation, but most because they really enjoy it. But then we go home and get caught up on all the list of things we need to do or didn't get done in the other six days. You see, it's hard to fulfill the primary purpose to get rest to realign my priorities, to stop and analyze and assess and understand God's amazing grace and do all those chores at the same time. Just as Sunday was never meant to be a a not allowed to or a have to day, it also wasn't designed to be a day where I get caught up on all the things that I didn't get done in the other six days. You get that? Do you honestly get that? Because you already know the list of things you want to accomplish the rest of the day. And it wasn't designed for that. Jesus faced it with the Pharisees at different times during his ministry. One of them is found in Matthew chapter 12. You can turn there if you want where the disciples are picking grain in a grain field on the Sabbath day. Violated a dozen of the commands of the Jewish uh, rabbis at that time. They were hungry, began to pick some. And when they saw it, said, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And he said, haven't you read, I love how Jesus does it, haven't you read as if they haven't read? Haven't you read when David did this, when his companions were hungry, he entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests? Haven't you read the law that the priests on the Sabbath day desecrate the Sabbath because they're working? I'll tell you something that's greater than the temple is here. You've known what these words mean. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from there to the synagogue, he saw a man with a shriveled hand. Looking for a reason to bring charges against them, they said, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus said, As any of you have a sheep that falls into the pit for the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift him out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good in the Sabbath day. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and was completely restored, just as the other. One of the points that I believe Jesus was trying to make is that meeting needs is much more important than breaking the technicality of keeping the law. The purpose of the Sabbath is to give you rest and realign our spiritual priorities so we have energy to meet needs and serve God. You see, when I get my priorities out of line and I get too busy doing life to come to the point where I either don't recognize the needs of those around me or I'm just too tired to care. When I set aside this day, put some boundaries around it so that it's protected, and I get some rest, and I realign my priorities, and I remember again God's amazing grace to me, it will definitely make me more aware of the needs of those around me and cause me to want to share God's amazing grace with others. My dad's going on 83 years old. He could be going on 84 for all I know. One of the most amazing men I've ever met, probably the hardest worker I've ever met, milked cows, ran a dairy for 65 to 70 years, of those 83, since he was 12 years old. Worked as hard as anybody had ever seen, but Sunday was always God's day. It was always a We didn't do what we normally did. We never brought in a crop. Never, ever brought in. We milked the cows. Those were the, pulled the sheep out of the dish, but we didn't do anything else, but we rested on that day. We enjoyed the day that God had given us. We enjoyed God's amazing grace and all the gifts that God has given us in wonderful ways. But my dad, who was already working 60 to 70 hours a week on that day, 
because he did those three things and did these three things, spent almost till this day every single Sunday afternoon visiting nursing homes, visiting shut-ins, taking communion to people who just didn't have anybody that would be there for them, visiting the lonely and many times the forgotten. A few years ago, he turned the farm over to somebody else to lease our land. And he said, I would just ask you one favor. He said, for the 65 years I ran this farm, I never pulled in a crop on Sunday. And I'd really appreciate it if you guys didn't as well. I know it's not your value and principle, but I'd appreciate that. And they said, Mike, you're one of the most respected men in all this county. And we will not do that until this day they have it. And Dad still to this day, every single Sunday afternoon, spends time understanding this. Because he's gotten rest, priorities are in line, and he remembers God's amazing grace, and he gives it away to the least. This is much bigger than a certain day. It's about kingdom living. It is a day set aside where I get some rest, where I get my priorities straight, where I'm reminded of God's amazing grace so that with renewed energy and joy, I can love God, meet needs, serve him, feel compassion, and show mercy. But without doing it regularly, you'll find that you cannot give what you do not have because eventually you'll run dry. Now, some may be wondering why we talk about the Sabbath when we know in the Jewish context that was Saturday and their Sabbath was on Saturday. Seventh-day Adventists still observe their Sabbath on Saturday. Christians historically have chosen Sunday, most logical reason, because of last weekend when we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the day that our Lord Redeemer rose from the dead and and that became from the very first inception of the Christian church the, the celebration that they hadn't enjoyed. Acts chapter 20, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread and two or three other contexts that talks about that. Paul reminds us in Romans 14 that one person considers one day more sacred than another. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Just simply reminds us that this command is not as much about a day as an attitude about God, myself, and the life he's called me to live. A life that has balance, that regularly gets my priorities straight. A life that stops on a regular basis to renew my energy, to renew my life, to renew my joy. That continually and constantly remembers God's amazing grace. So then with that renewed energy and renewed joy, I can love God, love people, show him, serve him and show mercy. But if you don't protect it, if you don't put a guard around it, if you don't make it holy, I'm telling you, it won't happen. This has nothing to do with old covenant, new covenant. It's not a gray area. It is a command given to us by God that still stands today as it did when it was given. Every single week of your life, stop. Rest. Recharge. Replenish. Realign your priorities. And remember, in this context of celebration, God's amazing grace. Remember where you were? Remember what you were? Remember what he did? And now who you are? Once a week at least, stop, reflect, and celebrate that. But if you don't protect it, you don't put a guard around it, you don't put a hedge around it, You'll get into a pattern that is unhealthy and eventually unholy. He gave us a gift. Not a have-to day or a can't-do day, but a look-forward-to day. A gift of love and grace that can be amazing 
if we observe it his way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this gift. I thank you for reminding us very clearly of all that you've accomplished and all that you've done on our behalf. And I thank you this one day a week where we can do different than what we do every other day of the week. And we can stop and reflect and stand in awe of your amazing grace. We can do it anytime, anywhere, with anyone. This wonderful gift of doing it together as a family of God is a great gift. Remind us of that on a regular basis. Help us to look forward to this day as the highlight of our week and sets the pattern for the rest of the week on this first day. Thank you for reminding us again in your word how important it is. May we never lose sight of that. May we do everything we can to protect it. In Jesus' name, amen. Sarah, who sang with Danielle a few moments ago, has a great song. I want you to listen to it. It gives you an opportunity to reflect. And then the end, an opportunity for adoration. Spent two weeks in preparation, number of hours putting it together. You heard it in 30 minutes. But I'm telling you, understand it, process it, and work your life around it. It will change everything. Many of you maybe already do. Maybe I'm speaking to the choir in another context. Because you're here. It's not another day to you. You understand the day. But I'm telling you, if you really understand it the way God designed it, and work it out in your life that way, it can be an unbelievable gift because it is a look forward to day, one that he's given us that we can remember his grace. I trust he lived that way. Sorry about the cutting in and out. We'll have it corrected by the next service. I just, I heard it again. I apologize for that. God bless you. Have a great, great day. Next Sunday morning, we continue in our series and our journey, and I hope this week helps prepare in a different way based on what you've heard and what you're going to process throughout the week. We're going to talk about a commandment that I know I can keep, I think. You'll see what I mean then. God bless you.